Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 400th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting across the world in this, our ninth year. This is a big milestone for us. And we're really thrilled to have you along on this 400th show journey. We're broadcasting today from the famous Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, the world capital of entertainment. And today, it's the place where entertainment meets technology. For those of you who are not familiar with Los Angeles, um, probably 10 years ago, there wasn't very much um, entrepreneurship or accelerators or venture capitalists or whatever in in Los Angeles. It was all in Silicon Valley. Now, Silicon Beach, as it's called, which is Los Angeles, is, um, is an incredible place for um, technology development. It's growing like crazy. We talk about the metal group that I belong to and 10 years ago, eight years ago, it was um, mainly people over 30. Now it's mainly people under 30 who have got um, successful startups and and, uh, it's really a whole different environment. Now I've been urging you for about four years to invest in cryptocurrency. Ignore the naysayers who say it's a fraud or it's overrated or it's a flash in the pan. We've all heard all those. In the last 12 months, over 1.7 million major corporations, including all of the major banks and all of the stock exchanges, have begun implementing blockchain. And uh, Bitcoin soared past $11,000 a couple of days ago and it was only 8000 a month or so ago or even less than that. So where else can you make 3000 bucks, which is about, I don't know, 35% or something, in two weeks on your money? So let me just say it again. If you haven't yet invested in cryptocurrency, do it now. If you don't know what to invest in, follow my daily newsletter, We discuss the fortunes of Bitcoin, Ethereum and Ripple and Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash and EOS and Binance and Tron, Cardano and a whole bunch of others. So get my newsletter, follow it and invest in crypto. You'll love me forever. Truly, you'll think I'm the best thing that's ever happened to you. So... Join about 1.75 million other business people and get my daily newsletter. Go to bobpritchard.com. That's bobpritchard with a T.com and subscribe. It'll take you 30 seconds. And that'll help you unlock the riches that you deserve. It's not only blockchain I've given you, Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrency I've given you tips on. I've given tips on health stocks and a whole whole range of other things and uh, I'm honestly here to say that if you had bought any of the st- stocks that we've recommended over the past five years, 
you would be well and truly in front by a hundred miles. Um, not one of them has lost money. Not one. And not one of them hasn't gone up at least a hundred percent. Not one. Now, if you've got a business today, one of the biggest pains in the ass that you face is how to market your business and attract new customers without spending an absolute fortune. And in this new business environment, what sort of marketing works anymore? We know that TV, radio and print doesn't work unless you've got buckets and buckets of money in your Coca-Cola. So the question most entrepreneurs and small businesses are asking is, how can I cut through and get noticed without spending a whole heap of money? And how can I ensure that I'm confining my spend to my catchment area? You know, if you're in Los Angeles, it's no use getting customers and you've got a, a shop, for example. It's no use getting customers that are three, well, getting people to hear about you if you're 300 miles away. They're simply not going to come to you. So you need to contain your message. So how the hell do you do that? Well, I've got the solution. Although influencer marketing's been around for a very, very long time, it's become an extremely popular marketing tactic, again, just over the last few years, particularly with small to medium businesses. Influencer marketing exploded in 2004, and 15 years later, it's really gaining popularity again. In fact, surveys show that marketers now pick influencer marketing as the fastest growing online customer acquisition method, which means influencer marketing sells more shit than anything else does. It's better than organic search, email, paid search, and much more. Marketers are searching for new ways to involve influencers in a variety of campaigns, and the influencer marketing industry is absolutely booming. Projections show that marketers will spend $2.38 billion on influencer marketing on Instagram only in 2019. That's more than $700 million or a 33% increase from last year. That is a huge growth. Now, data shows that influencer marketing is providing marketers with a strong return on investment. The data shows that influencer marketing generates $6.50 for every dollar a company invests. Now, if you're buying a local newspaper and you go out and spend $1,000, can you honestly say that you get $6,500 back from that ad? No, of course you can't. In fact, you don't. Now, approximately 70% of companies earn more than $2 for every dollar spent, and 13% of companies earn more than $20 for every dollar spent. Now, that's a pretty impressive return. Then we say, yeah, but, you know, influencers cost a bloody lot of money. Mid-range influencers with, you know, those with 50,000 to 500,000 followers charge $400 to $2,500 for each post. Influencers with followers in the millions can charge up to $200,000 per post. And despite the big number of followers these big celebrities have, give them a miss. 
because they don't achieve proportionate responses. You know, if, if they've got 10 times more followers, doesn't mean they're going to get 10 times better results. The fact is they don't. Research shows that influencers with 20,000 followers or less are far more effective and create a much higher return on investment than the so-called big guns. For example, you've probably heard about the Fire Festival, where despite huge follower influences, including Kendall Jenner, um, Whitney Fransway, and a whole bunch of others, it just didn't live up to expectations. In fact, it was a giant fiasco. And after that mess, 94% of marketers said that they were not likely to seek out big-name influencers for their future projects. The big-name guys are a waste of money. So I thought, I'm going to set out to explore the power and cost-effectiveness of, of influencer marketing so I sought out a young guy. His name's Julio Cern. He's the CEO of the unique grassroots influencer company called Crossworld, which is X Ross World, Crossworld. And they came about when he was launching an online marketplace combined with a fitness app. He knew the fitness industry was a competitive field, so he sought methods that he could use to take his product to market effectively and inexpensively. He consulted with a growth hacker who specialised in optimising Facebook advertising, but after several meetings, he realised that growth hacking was just data science and that you still needed a substantial marketing budget. So growth hacking that didn't quite make sense to Julio with his limited budget, he needed to find an affordable solution that would spread the word about his services to as many people as possible who lived around the area where his service was available. That makes a lot of sense and a lot of people don't do it. Then a light bulb moment came on for Julio. Instagram influencers. Wow, that's what I need to do. So he started to research how he could leverage Instagram influencers to market his service. After a hell of a lot of research, Julio quickly found out that his options were limited, expensive, and with no guarantee that these agencies or platforms, if you like, would reach people who lived near the area where he needed to market. So he decided to find the influences himself. And after 30 days and over 150 hours of his time, he hired 10 influencers. When he went to the market to start onboarding fitness studios to join his marketplace, this is the interesting part, he found that the businesses were more interested in how he found his influences and how much he paid them than they were interested in his service. At this point, and this, this kid's really smart, he realised it was a no-brainer for he and his team to pivot their focus towards creating a platform to help small to medium businesses eliminate the pain points of influencer marketing. This is smart. Today, Crossworld is the only highly localised influencer marketing platform that is extremely affordable and fully automated. And that makes a difference. That makes it simple for clients to come on board and 
very effective with over 250,000 vetted and qualified experienced local influencers across America today and also, importantly, across all major industries because you'll use different influencers for different um, industry channels. Crossworld's growth is rapid. It's also the only influencer marketing company that guarantees its results. Now, if you've been in the business for a while, how many advertising mediums can you think of that guarantee their results? If you go to advertise in the newspaper, do they say, oh, we guarantee our results? Eh, never. None that I can ever remember, but Crossworld does. And very effectively. Now, UK business guru Chris Ducker, who we've probably all heard of, one of the most undeniable traits of a real entrepreneur is the ability to be flexible. Now, this is known as the entrepreneurial pivot. Most startups, at some point or another, need to pivot. You start off with a great idea, you kick it off, you start working on it, and then you find that the idea maybe wasn't quite what you expected it to be, so you need to change what you do. You might only just tweak it, and most companies just tweak it. But in Julio's case, he um, he changed his focus completely, and that takes a real entrepreneur to do that. And I found that um, Julio Cern of Crossworld, which is X-R-O-S-S, world, is a real entrepreneur. He's a very smart young guy. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes 30 seconds every day to read, and we tackle a different subject every day. And tomorrow's newsletter, I talk about what, why you should never use a Wi-Fi in your Airbnb. You make yourself vulnerable to a whole bunch of risks, including scams, hidden cameras, and discrimination. Don't let your guard down while renting an Airbnb. The Wi-Fi can totally expose all your information. And it doesn't have to be the host that's a crook. It could be the last person that stayed in the Airbnb could have compromised the Wi-Fi. So don't take chances. Read my newsletter tomorrow and it'll tell you what to do. Today's interview is with Dave Hodgson. He's the director and co-founder of NEM Ventures. It's a venture capital investments arm of the NEM blockchain ecosystem. Dave has 15 years experience consulting to various sizes of organisations and government agencies and NGOs on technology projects. At NEM Ventures, Dave and his co-founders have formalised a distributed autonomous grant scheme (laughs) into an investment vehicle with an initial fund size of $10 million in year one for high-tech investments. This is yet another great blockchain project. This is Bob Pritchard and I'll be back with Dave in just a moment.
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last eight plus years and some 400 plus interviews, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. We talk about the services that they provide, the challenges that they faced, how they overcame them, and what it is that makes them tick, or at least we try to find out what makes them tick. Everyone that's an entrepreneur faces the same issues and challenges, but when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't seem like that. (laughs) And that's why it's important for all entrepreneurs, in fact, everybody that's in an executive position to listen to interviews like we have on our program and others, read biographies, and as I've said a hundred times, get yourself some mentors and not people that are yes people that think you're wonderful and will say yes to every inane idea that you have, but people who have been there and done that and have been successful and and know the ropes and are prepared to tell you when an idea is crap. So you need somebody that's pretty straight talking, but you really do need to have mentors. It'll save you a lot of grief over the years. Now, Dave Hodgson is the director and co-founder of NEM Ventures, which is a venture capital and investments arm of the NEM blockchain ecosystem. Dave's got 15 years' experience consulting to various sizes of organisations and government agencies, NGOs, on technology projects. So he's a technology nerd, and he's bloody Scottish. I mean, who's ever heard of a Scottish technology nerd? Um, He was an early adopter and program lead for public cloud projects, having led multiple large organisations through their adoption programs, and he moved into blockchain as a natural progression as the industry and technology began to mature. At NEM Ventures, Dave and his co-founders have delivered a mandate from the NEM community to formalise a distributed autonomous grant scheme into an investment vehicle with an initial fund size of $10 million in year one. So NEM Ventures specialises in high-tech investments, 
promoting the growth of the ecosystem through strategic investments in projects which align with the ethos of the NEM community. NEM Ventures focuses on projects which demonstrate a truly differentiated product, the ability to generate positive income in the medium term, and founders who showcase the desire to move the blockchain ecosystem forward, which seems just about every entrepreneur that I meet these days. Founded in 2018, NEM Ventures comprises a small, highly motivated team of investment and technology professionals. I've got Dave on the line from Mexico, where I'll be tomorrow. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Uh, thanks for having us on the show. Uh, that's a great introduction. I think I might have to pinch that. I can't say it more myself. So, um, I don't. When I think of Scotland, I don't think of Scotland as being a terribly high tech sort of hub of activity. Am I totally wrong? Uh, no, that's probably fair. So we have a couple of pockets where we have uh, more high tech development, particularly around fintech. So Edinburgh. Yeah. Has, uh, has quite a buzzing scene. But uh, I've spent most of the last 20 years outside Scotland. I've only just come back in the last year or so. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I've moved around through Australia, New Zealand, South America, and uh, yeah, been around technology hubs for most of the last 20 years. Yeah, well, being out of being out of Scotland sounds to me like a great idea. Um, <laughs> so tell me about yourself and your background. How did you start in, as a technologist, if you like. Uh, yes, yeah, so I actually started off originally by, on a business track and working for a finance house during the, the dot-com boom. And it was right. a fairly traditional structured finance house that offers retail products to investors. Uh, through that, I, I got involved in analyzing the performance of stocks for uh, the high-tech companies of the day, which, some of which are now obviously massive. Um and from there, got more of an interest in technology, moved out to Australia and uh, did a postgrad in IT out there and uh, moved off onto graduate trainee programs and it just kind of snowballed from there um, up to enterprise architect and CIO ultimately. So uh, I come from very, very much a crossover background. I can sit quite comfortably in technology-based con- discussions with programmers and infrastructure guys, but I'm equally comfortable sitting and having a chat with the the finance officers and the HR officers about what it, what it is they're trying to do. Um, and as a technologist, that marries very nicely both the public cloud and the blockchain because ultimately the only reason you're spending money on tech and the only reason these tech solutions exist is to achieve something and you've got to try yeah. to find what that something is and explain it in a way that you can hit. So you on the, you're on the technology side of um, any inventions or are you on the money-raising side or does everybody do everything? Uh, I'm smack in the middle. So um, I got into NEM originally through uh, a project as a I was a fractional CIO at the time, doing an options analysis of various different blockchains because we wanted to enable peer-to-peer trading of energy, and we selected NEM, and it was myself that led that that options analysis. From right. there, I got chatting to some of the guys in the community, uh, and the requirement for NEM Ventures came up, and because of sitting between the two different sides. I have networks on both, so I was able to pull some guys in who have got a more traditional finance background and obviously bridge the, the gap with the blockchain tech guys. So I sit squarely in the middle, but the structure is very flat. We've only got a team of uh, five kind of core members, so there is definitely an element of us all doing a bit of everything. Are you finding that um, 
more and more traditional funders um, are entering into the blockchain space or, well, we know they're more interested, but are they actually migrating across to the blockchain space yet? Yeah, they are. It's still being led by the more progressive traditional funding sources. Um, so you've got companies like Fidelity, for example, have come out and said that they're structuring a financial product for the crypto and blockchain space. JP Morgan have launched their own coin, obviously. Mm. Um, and then you've got companies like Facebook coming in as well. So we are definitely getting much more mainstream adoption now than we were even maybe 12, 18 months ago. Uh, and it just feels like it's starting to snowball in that, that respect. Yeah, uh, We're getting quite a few requests from traditional VCs as well who know that there's a lot of stuff happening in the space and that there's a lot of uh, investment opportunity there but don't necessarily have the backgrounds or the capabilities in blockchain to do that. So we've got a few co-investment partners that um, ask us to, to funnel projects their way when there are investment rounds that we're not filling the whole the whole round for. So there's definitely a lot of interest now from the traditional funding options. And, yeah, and there's so many um, blockchain opportunities now. I've got, I've, I've, we've done a lot of programs on blockchain. I've been a big supporter of blockchain and crypto for a while. Sometimes I wonder why. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But I've been, a, like this morning, for example, um, but um, I've been a, you know, a big supporter of it and, and I've interviewed people from people using the blockchain to distribute aid in Africa to people that, with governments that are using blockchain to um, pay entitlements to people that are using blockchain to um, register art and it just goes on, people using blockchain to distribute produce. I mean, it just, it. there seems to be no end to the number of people that are using blockchain to um, um, control or control, I guess, control is not the right word, but to register trade and um, and all sorts of commerce. Just amazing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the number of use cases, I'm still amazed even now every week something comes in that I'm like, man, I wouldn't have thought of applying it in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, people are getting really creative with, with how they're using it. Um, and some of them start out from being just a really simplified, secure, robust, scalable database. And really, that's all it is, is a glorified database. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, once you get onto different chains, you have you know, automated contracts and a whole different space on that on that side. And the AI guys now are all getting involved as well, obviously, because yeah. it facilitates kind of group, group learning for them. Um it's one of the reasons why I go into the space is that the level of variety that you get right now in the industry is pretty much unmatched in any other technology spaces and the other investment spaces, to be fair. Um, so it just keeps me really switched on and, and motivated all the time when I get up to all these new ideas. Yeah. Well, what's, it go, what's blockchain going to do to banks? I mean, banks have been doing this bullshit about, you know, borrowing money at 1% and loaning it back to you at 8% for so long. Um, that that has got to stop sooner rather than later. Um, so where do you see that going? Are we going to be coming? Yeah, so we're already, Sorry. We're already seeing a start to it, obviously, um, particularly the sort of low-hanging fruit of things like cross-border payments where, I don't know, it might take you, I mean, obviously with your accent, you're an Aussie and I'm sure you spent money sending cash back and forth from the US to Australia. Yeah. That might take you three, three five days, probably cost you 20, 30, 40 bucks. Yep. Alternatively, you could just make a quick Bitcoin transaction, cost you 50 cents and it'll take like an hour or two. Um, yep. If you did that on them, it'll take you a few minutes and it'll cost you even less. Um, 
So that's a really, really easy one. There's plenty of low-hanging fruit like that that's, that's already starting to, uh, to dissipate down out of the banks. Um, the other side, obviously, is that um, with projects like MakerDAO, for example, we're starting to get now into collateralized loans based on crypto where you can transparently see who owns what and it's escrowed automatically and you don't have to trust anybody in the middle. Yeah, um, It just starts to cut out, cut out so many middlemen. You've got loads of efficiencies that can just basically be spread across the across the community, really. Um, so, yeah, I, I think banks are probably doing for a bit of a rough time over the next few years and there's still a place for them. Really? Sure, and they're not going to do it anytime <laughs> soon. But, uh, yeah, but my granny's never going to be paying with XCM, I don't think. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think over time, the, the importance is just going to drop. I mean, it's it, it just seems natural at this stage. We've got enough inertia now. Banks have been such predatory bastards for so long. It is about time that they were disrupted seriously, I reckon. Anyway, that's just my personal yeah. opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely divides the community. Eh? It's, uh, there's some pretty strongly held views on both sides. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about any inventions. Um, how does it differ from the blockchain and foundation? Yeah, so the, the ecosystem has uh, four main components to it. Obviously, we've got the, the core technology, which is an end protocol, yeah. which is uh, broadly comparable with Stellar or Cardano or any of the other chains that, that, that do specific stuff. And yeah. We focus predominantly on enterprise adoption. Um, so with that, we have then three partner entities, if you like. NEM Ventures invests in projects that basically are for the good of the ecosystem. They're either building on them or they somehow enhance the experience for the community in some way. Um, and we have a very defined mandate on that. We do manage some partnerships and naturally we're around things like trading desks and OTC partners a bit more often um, just because of the type of backgrounds that the guys have got. Sure. Then the NEM Foundation has a, a fairly defined mandate as well. So they're focused on product development of anything that is not the core underlying protocol. So that might be mobile wallets, uh, learning portals for training, um, all of that that kind of stuff that supports the ecosystem in general and, and adds to the experience. They also pick up uh, a lot of the marketing and the comms and the brand positioning um, and the go-to-market strategies. So this year we've got a, a launch of version two, or Catapult as it's, it's codenamed. It's due to come out towards the end of the year. So the foundation are very focused just now on making sure that all of the product delivery drives behind that type of release. We're obviously looking for projects that build on it, but that's very much their focus just now. And then finally, there's a an entity that most people wouldn't be aware of um, if in the English-speaking world called Tech Bureau, which is a Japanese independent company that actually funds the core development team. So they funded the, the original tech development um, and own an enterprise closed-source license for that, which they implement with various different enterprises. And I think they're up over 300 now at last count when I was speaking wow. to uh, over Japan. But because it's in the Japanese-speaking community, obviously the, there's a big disconnect Sure. language there so it's, it's often not heard of in the English speaking world um, and they're still funding the catapult development so they basically own the enterprise license for implementing that over there and then give the technology open source to the public chain right. um, which is the, the one that we all use um, so yeah we got th those four entities basically to catapult what a fantastic name that is such a good yeah. name at a time it's when the future isn't it yeah, it's brilliant. At a time when almost every word in the English language is used, I wouldn't have thought you would have been able to get it. <laughs> so. No, I'd love to take credit for it, but uh, it was somebody else's brilliant idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> it's a nice one, isn't it? Yeah, it's lovely. It, it lends itself really nicely to marketing campaigns as well. Yeah. Um, 
So when you want to back a project, what criteria do you look for? Yeah, so we got uh, four for so many projects out there. Them on. Sorry, well, that broke up in the middle. What was that one? There's so many projects out there. It must be very difficult to determine, you know, which one to support. Yeah, it definitely is. So we we have a, I guess, an initial filter that the project must be able to clearly explain to us how they enhance them, whether they're building on it, whether they're opening up a Fiat gateway taking them to the moon, whatever it is they're going to do, they need to be able to tell us how that helps the community in a coherent way. And then after that, to be honest, the last three are probably more like traditional investment houses. Um, so we're looking for a, a credible team that has a really clear vision, sure. ideally a massive vision so they can scale properly. Um, they need to be able to build a commercially viable product around that or offering around that. Um, we're not interested in in back in great technical innovations that have no go-to-market strategy. Right. Uh, otherwise, we, we become unsustainable ourselves. Um, and then that finally leads on to we need to be able to see a point in which we can make a positive financial return. So whether that's an exit, subsequent seed round, STO, all that kind of stuff. Um, but those last three, that's just kind of investment 101, um, really. And we just apply that to projects that work in the NEM ecosystem. So... Would you have a situation where somebody brings you a project and they don't have um, all the technology and whatever else goes with it totally in place yet? Would you go in and help them with your technology skills or would you say, go away and find yourself some tech guys and come back? Uh, we do a bit of both. So we will take very early stage ideas. Um, if they don't have any of the tech built, we obviously are a little bit suspect as to how committed they really are to them sure. um, as a product. So that notwithstanding, um, if they need a bit of help to get that over the line or if they need introducing to a partner that can help them with that, because we're well embedded in the community and we've got networks in most of the geographical regions, what we prefer to do rather than fix it ourselves is say to them, guys, this looks like a good vision. We can see where you're going with this, but you clearly need a bit of help. Why don't you go speak to these guys and come back in a few weeks and we'll continue the conversation. But similarly, if they've turned up with a tech product that's completely finished and they don't have a business plan or financial forecasts, etc., yep. uh, we will have a look at those as well and have on occasion helped coach people through it. But a lot of it depends on the opportunity and really how credible the founders are and how good their vision is. Um, if we can really buy into what it is they're trying to do, we will give them more support than you might expect from a VC that's not focused on trying to grow an ecosystem in addition to making financial return. Obviously, ultimately, we benefit if the ecosystem does well. So yeah, we sure. can afford to, to invest a little bit in the projects yeah. outside of the finance, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it, I guess it increases your margin in the company too. Which, yeah, definitely. Which has uh, got to help. Ultimately, we, we, hold our, we hold our budgets in XEM. So if projects are building on XEM and they're successful, even if we don't invest in them, the adoption goes up and therefore the currency price goes up and our budget ultimately does well anyway. So we kind of we have a bit of a win-win there um, as well. That we, we do see some financial return from it, even if they don't take investment from us. Right. So how um, what sort of projects are you working on now? So we've uh, literally this morning just uh, signed our second investment ticket. Um, it was announced probably about two hours ago, I think. Um, right. called, a company called Moby, and they're a Melbourne-based, well, split between Melbourne and Darwin, but an Aussie-based company that uh, have an app which enables ride-sharing so if you think of Melbourne, you've got, uh, I think the figures are something like 2 million commuters and 1.3 million car drivers. 
yeah. going in and out of the city every day to get get to work. These guys have got an app which allows you to get to know the people in those other cars and try and ride share or carpool, basically. Um, the app has various different inbuilt safety features similar to the type of stuff you might find with Uber or Lyft or Grab or any of the, the sort of commercial taxi type operations. Um, but it's very focused on the community speaking to the community and helping themselves and reduce the, the climate impact of, of commuting. Um, and XEM gets worked into that as a payment mechanism and as, a, as an escrow, fu- escrow function uh, initially so that you'll be able to take payment at the start of the trip and then release it at the end so the driver knows they're definitely going to get paid but the, the rider knows that unless the trip is okay and they're safe that the money's not released. Those, those kinds of features. Um, and it, it's a young young startup. The guys are I think 21 and 22 from memory. Um, they've been going for about 12 months now. They've already got a, an alpha product out without blockchain in it, which has been piloted with a couple hundred people. And they've, uh, they've managed to land themselves three partnerships with different universities around Australia to help scale that out to the students. So they've got access to, I think it was about 40,000 uh, students and professors and other okay. university workers that they can, they can focus on. Um, it's a really nice little uh, compact business and it's, it's a fairly early C-stage investment. How, how has that got any advantages over an Uber or a Lyft? Well, I know Lyft's not in Australia, but let's say Uber. How, how has it got any advantages? What? So it's just average. I find out that the guy next... With it's a lot less. could cost heaps less um, because it's not a taxi. So if, you, if you're paying um, for an Uber ride, for example, you, there's a commercial transaction there, which is particularly in Australia's licensed very differently. Yeah, so I know. That's ridiculous. You, I know what was it, $15 or something for a ride. Um, whereas if you go in with your next door neighbour or the guy in the street over over the way that you don't know, um, you're basically just covering his gas fees and a bit of maintenance to the car, and you're not allowed to pay more than a set amount. Otherwise, it becomes a commercial offering. So for the rider, it's a lot cheaper, uh, and for the driver, it means that without having to go out and get a taxi license and run an Uber, you can have some contribution towards the running cost of your car, and you're going there anyway. So it, uh, it's just a bit more efficient because the cars go in there anyway. You just stack some more people in it, basically. Yeah. So how do you guys make, or how does the company make a profit out of that? Uh, so the all the transactions that come through that payment system, there's a, a very small percentage taken off it. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. Um, and if you pay an XEM, then you get 20% off that, that number. Um, company takes revenue off that. Um, they also partner with enterprises who will pay them to be part of a partnership scheme to allow the app to be white labeled or pushed into their employees to um, promote ride sharing and carpooling with their employees. Now, companies in most developed countries and certainly in Australia where the climate change is having a bit of an impact have targets to help them reduce carbon emissions. That's yeah. one way that they can they can contribute towards that uh, and they're prepared to pay for a partnership that allows them to to roll that out and um, obviously Moby collect the funds on that as well um, yeah it, it has a, the nice attributes that it scales very easily outside of the initial pilot cities as well yeah, so sure. you're going very much for a large number of transactions with a small clip on each rather than high value um, and then obviously that relies on scale yeah and I guess from a government's point of view it, it actually it's a scheme that actually does take cars off the road I know Uber and Lyft say that they take cars off the road but in fact I don't think they do it, I've seen research that says that 
Uber and Lyft actually increase the number of cars on the road um, at any time of the day. Um, with this, yeah, it certainly, it certainly does definitely lift, lift cars off the road or lift the, the, the load on public transport. So you, you might generate more seats on a bus that means that they don't need to stick on a second bus, for example, or it's a very simplistic example. But yeah, it definitely can contribute towards it. And there's schemes around... Um, so I've spent quite a few years in New Zealand and there's certainly plenty of rideshare and carpooling schemes around already that don't involve blockchain and are you know, done with paper forms, etc. Um, and they've definitely proven it has a has an impact on city commuting particularly. Uh, and with the, with the uni partnerships, it's particularly interesting because a lot of the students tend to live in the same zones of the city and they're yeah, obviously going to the same place. And you're dealing with large numbers of people at the same, same times of day, quite often outside normal commuting hours. Um, so their public transport offerings might not be quite so frequent and all that kind of stuff. So it actually does help them yeah. generally. with their lives. It helps them meet other students as well. So you've got the social aspect to that type of commuting. Yes, sorry, sorry for the little chuckle in the middle of that, but I was having trouble understanding um, um, New Zealand and cities with traffic problems. There's only five <laughs> people live in the whole bloody country. <laughs> yeah, we've only got two roads, so it's all right. <laughs> now, Wellington and Auckland have uh, have pretty bad traffic problems actually because the the infrastructure is not set up to deal with the number of cars that are on it. Yeah. Um, it's just that the, road, the roads are heaps smaller than Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. They are. Um, how has uh, them ventures fared coming out of the bear market of 2018 and during the first few months of 2019? Because this, we're, it looks like we're going into a pretty bullish um, time now, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, if you ignore the last sort of 24, 48 hours worth of prices, which feel like a blip, I'd agree. It feels like we're uh, we're definitely now into bullish territory and we're certainly very bullish on markets in general and XEM. Um, we've actually fared very, very well because weirdly, we're probably one of the only VCs that founded in the middle of the bear market. So yeah. um, one of the motivations for founding them Ventures was to ensure we had a sustainable return going back into the community's funds, the reserve pools. Um, and obviously in the middle of the bear market, that... Uh, that need just becomes that little bit more amplified um, because prices are falling and the values of budgets are going down. Um, so weirdly, the ventures and entity fared, fared fantastically from the bear market because it was one of the things that propelled us into existing. Um, in terms of investments, um, we had the same challenges as everybody else with falling prices. Uh, we do have a trader that works for us pretty much full-time. Um, I mean, he's been doing a fantastic job of keeping us uh, keeping us afloat and, and actually profitable even in the bear market and obviously coming into the bull we're now uh, yeah we're fairly aggressively positioned to try and try and take advantage of that upswing yeah and I guess because um, because there's such a great interest in the area um, you would continue to attract money even in a even in a bad market because you're not after all the money you're only after a fairly small lick really and um, that would be less and particularly when the you know, property sucks. Um, the share market sucks. You know, where, where are you going to put your money? So, putting your money into something that's new and on the cutting edge of something as hot as as blockchain, um, you'd think that you wouldn't have trouble attracting investment. Yeah, definitely. And because we've got our own investment budget already allocated from community funds. So we went through a community vote back in September to use some of the reserve pools. So we're, we're not even out for investment directly ourselves. But there are also very few people who are, or 
not very few, but few people who are writing tickets in the middle of the bear market. Yeah. But because we want to restock on the blockchain, we're one of the companies that are actively investing in the middle of it um, and actually still giving money out effectively or investing money to, to create commercial gain off it. So we're helping drive that um, that recovery, at least we we believe we are. Yeah. <laughs> obviously very, very difficult to know actually what's what's going on in terms of the um, the trading volume. But uh, yeah, I certainly personally am I'm extremely bullish on on multiple coins just now and, and the industry in general. Um, yeah, not, oh, and, yeah, I wouldn't be there if I wasn't. So. <laughs> yeah, while you're saying you're bullish on multiple coins, you only... I, I'm, I'm bullish on platform coins. I'm not so bullish on, you know, the regular um, coin that some guy dreamed up because he thought it was a good idea. But platform yeah, coins... Yeah, I, I, I only invest in the protocol level coins personally. Um, some of the some of the projects that have utility tokens have really solid use cases and you can see where the utility might come from. But uh, personally, I prefer the platform coins as well. Um, yeah. It's a lot easier to tangibly see where the value comes from. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. So you, you had a, a sort of a, a boring, a tr- traditional boring old finance background. Um, what skill set have you brought with you from that period to um, any inventions that has been a big advantage for you? Yeah, so my, my finance background wasn't vast. I probably spent uh, maybe two, three years, something like that, uh, at a finance house. But because a lot of the time I was literally in the call center justifying performance of various different trust funds um, based on technology trends, and it was very fast-moving technology back then. We're going back to probably 2000, 2001. So you were um, the apology just- guy. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Just as the technology burst, trying to explain why it had happened and what was going on, etc. To um, sometimes mature investors, but generally retail investors, um, that kind of quick moving market, in particular a falling market, there's a lot of similarity between what we were seeing then and what happens in crypto today. Um, so jumping on exchanges and watching all of the various different technical analysis charts, that stuff's still the same. Right. There's new. New additions to it, um, probably 25% of new measures in there, and certainly different pricing um, patterns and cycles to look for. But uh, the base baseline analysis is still pretty pretty similar. Um, I also was a bit involved a bit in forex back then as well, and that's pretty much pure speculation. So when you get into speculative bubble on on crypto, and obviously they, they do happen in cycles, um, responds very similarly. Um, but from there, I, I jumped over to IT. So I was probably two or three years in finance and then 15 years in, in enterprise IT projects yeah. and the latter half of that predominantly in energy and startups. So, yeah, I've got a, a fairly varied background, which allows me to sit very, very comfortably in, in most conversations. And at least in, in my view, add value in conversations. You have to ask the other guys if it actually does add value. So does the finance background help you on, with the, in the tech space? I suppose it does here because uh, it's, it's really, yeah. it's really a finance, really very financial tech space, isn't it? Yeah, it does, and certainly in fintech, obviously, it helps hugely. Um, it also helps to be able to understand when you're sitting in front of a board with a, an accountant and a lawyer and a CEO that may or may not have a tech background. It helps you to be able to explain in words that the exec team understand yeah. why they should care about this technology, because. Whilst as a technologist, I might look at it and say, this widget over here does loads of cool stuff and that one's awesome and the next one's great. If I go and present that in front of an exec team at Enterprise, 
all they hear is just noise and, and tech yeah. nerd speak. So you need to abstract it out to plain English and, and explain, hey guys, if you do this, that's going to save you 10% of your cost base, help you comply with this HR regulation, help you with climate X, Y, Z, etc. Um, and the tech is then just how you help them get there. Yeah. So the finance background helps from, from that perspective because you can just you can help translate, obviously, into finance, speak to it more easily. Yeah, I guess I guess it's hard enough for um, um, boards to understand your accent, far less understand what you're saying. <laughs> I should talk, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I had a Kiwi accent up until recently. <laughs> Weirdly, this is actually a really softened version of the accent where I'm from. So I'm from a little fishing village in the far north, and uh, yeah, that accent is tough even for me now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're getting short on time, but. What do um, any inventions and any have in store for the next twelve months? Are you focusing on anything in particular? Catapult. Just catapult. Yeah, big, biggest one. Sorry, Bob. There's a slight lag there. So I think I'm talking over the top of you occasionally. Um, yeah, basically we've got catapult coming out this year, so there's a huge amount of effort going behind that. Just now, the dev teams are fully focused on it. Foundations pretty much fully focused on it. Inventors uh, are looking for for projects that are taken up. We've had the the initial development releases come out now. It's not quite the full f- feature set. There's a few months to go until that fully gets released, but there is a dev version there people can already start developing on and projects are already starting to use. So as ventures, we're, we're spending most of the next 12 months um, getting excited about Catapult, getting out there, speaking about it, and looking for companies that are building on it. Right. Dave, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, particularly from Mexico, where you're probably sitting around having a margarita right now. Um, oh, having a beer next to the pool, mate. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so to contact Dave and any adventures, go to nemventures.io. That's nemventures.io. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 400. Bob Pritchard, Straight Talking, No Bullshit Business Radio Show, coming at you on Voice America Business Network and broadcasting across the world from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood in California. Did you know that 66 million years ago, as probably for most of you were born, a six-mile-wide space rock, can you imagine a six-mile-wide rock, caused a tsunami in the Atlantic Ocean? along with earthquakes and landslides up and down what is now the Americas. A heat pulse baked the earth and the likes of Trianosaurus rex and its friends died out, along with more than 75% of the planet's species. That was devastating. Since then, there's been four additional occurrences of mass extinctions on Earth. Scientists believe that a devastating mass extinction event is taking place 
right now, today, the sixth of its kind in Earth's history. Global fauna is being decimated on multiple fronts. We've got hotter oceans, deforestation and climate change is driving animal populations to drop in unprecedented numbers and humans are driving these alarming extinction, extinction trends. Current extinction rates are 1,000 times higher than they would be without humans. Up to 1 million plant and animal species face extinction due to human activity. A 2017 study examined 27,600 vertebrae species, about half the overall total, and more than 26,500 are threatened with extinction. The IUCN predicts that 99.9% of endangered species will be lost this century. The UN report also estimates that insects are dying off at record rates. If the trend continues, the Earth may have no insects at all by the end of the century. Now, that's a major problem because insects like bees and hoverflies and other pollinators perform a crucial role in fruit, vegetable and nut production. Plus, bugs are food sources for many birds, fish and mammal species many of which humans rely on for food. And insects aren't the only creatures taking a hit. In the past 50 years, more than 500 amphibian species have declined worldwide and 90 have gone extinct with at least 2,000 species in danger of extinction. And the loss of even one species could cause an extinction domino effect causing the entire community to collapse. So events like climate change can multiply these effects up to 10 times. The loss of one species can make more species disappear. Now, the average rate of extinction over the last century is 100 times higher than it was previously. And incredibly, this is really amazing, about 27 soccer fields of forest disappear every single minute. And the ice caps are melting and to the point where last year we lost more than 400 billion tonnes of ice in one year. Now, everybody's trying to save something now, save the trees, save the bees, save the whales, save the snails, and now human supreme arrogance, save the planet. Now, we don't even know how to take care of ourselves. We haven't learned how to care for one another, and we're going to save the planet? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the planet. The planet's fine. It's the people on the planet that are fucked. Now, remember... If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. If you're always trying to be normal, you'll always be boring. And you'll never know just how amazing you can be. So thank you for joining me today for my 400th show. It's a big milestone for me. So now we'll go out and celebrate. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success really 
sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.